So I guess I should explain right from the outset, Mr. Hicks and Mr. Boag, that we're not going to talk about business at all for this show. I, I was intending to, at every opportunity, see if I could somehow relate what we are talking about, which is Doctor Who, in some way back to business. So, you know, something like, well, the Cybermen remind me very much of clients, you know, and do it like that. Most people are just thinking, when do you ever talk about business? But there we go. But that's just for the boring people, because they might be thinking, if I sit through all the Doctor Who stuff, there might be something about contracts at the end, but that's not going to happen. <laughs> you know, that's, you know, that'd be about after the credits. There might be some, I, I sat and waited for about 45 minutes through the trailers, the credits at the end of, um, Planet of the Apes. And then there wasn't, an, there wasn't a thing. Oh, my, my heart weeps for you, Andy. So today's episode is all about Doctor Who and, the series finale in particular, I think. So if you haven't seen the end of the series yet, you should really stop listening here because there's going to be spoilers galore. Or maybe you live in Norway. Have they not had it yet? Do they get it late in Norway? I don't think they have any clue about what Doctor Who is in Norway. Uh, I beg to differ. Really? Did you take it with you when you worked there? Well, I just talking to my my Oslo colleagues at Opera and in Poland... They're all very much aware of it. it. You know, they're not necessarily interested in it, but it's, <laughs> but I, but I talked to them about it nonetheless. Ah, well, there you go. Did they know about it before you talked to them? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, even then it's, it's big, you know, it's just like, you know, it's geek world. Well, also it's been, I mean, if something's around that length of time, eventually it seeps into your consciousness, isn't it? Yeah, exactly. It's like, you know, the number of songs I know from the Rocky Horror Show, yet I've never sat down and watched the Rocky Horror Show. <laughs> oh, that's put some visual images in my head that I'm, I can't get out. It's only been this last few years that the Americans have discovered Doctor Who, though. But that's Americans, isn't it? They always turn up late, normally to a war, but, you know, the same principles apply. Oh. Let's start off by as, uh, upsetting as many Americans as we can. Well, that's always good. Why, why stop at Americans? I mean, you know, could, we could branch out this week. We could do other, well, do you other know, people. T- to be honest, I got a tweet from somebody, and I've got to be serious about this, but I got, did get a tweet from somebody a week or two ago saying, I sat down to listen to the Unfinished Business mental health episode and had to sit through 10 minutes of Andy insulting fat Americans. <laughs> and I'm thinking, you should have sat for the whole lot and listened to like 20 minutes. <laughs> <laughs> he, obviously, he obviously quit before I'd finished. It's just jealousy on our part, isn't it? Because we've no, we've no longer got an, uh, an empire and they still have one. <laughs> yes. <laughs> is that not what it boils down to? I was always under the impression. I'm starting to get this kind of feeling that this is ending up a bit like a Top Gear kind of thing. You know, like three, <laughs> three curmudgeonly men slagging off any other country that's slightly different. Uh, you know, especially America, you know, and we're not even talking about the thing we should be talking about. Before we get to Doctor Who. <laughs> I don't want to be Clarkson. You, me, John, we've just come back from speaking at Beyond Tellerand in Berlin. Mm. And we're not going to insult Germans at all. No, not once. They were great. They were fabulous. Yeah. It was a good conference, was it? It was a beautiful conference. Yeah. Really well put together. I mean, Mark Teal is just, he's, you know, it's obvious how he's the one that does everything and, so much of his personalities in the conference, you know, do you think so, Andy? I think just really, it's just a nice feel about the whole thing. It was, it was fabulous. And it was 
probably the nicest conference that I've been to for a long, long time. I'm not going to say that it was the best necessarily and the, or that I learned more than anywhere else, but mm. just the overall kind of feeling, um, from the conference and the friendliness of the attendees and everything else. It was really, really, really good. Mm. Yeah. And being in Berlin, because we stayed a few extra days, and I being know. in Berlin for the anniversary, the 25th anniversary of the wall coming down. Oh, wow. Just Ooh, amazing. Did, did Hasselhoff come back? I didn't <laughs> see Hasselhoff. No? Oh, I kind of thought he would be there, because he was there the last time, wasn't he? He was. Do you not remember that? I miss Mikhail Gorbachev by a couple of hours. Right. As you do. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Nobody okay. told him I was coming. No, no. Well, he didn't, couldn't hang around for you. You know, he's prima donnas. That's not as cool as Hasselhoff turning up, is it? Gorbachev. I mean, what did Gorbachev ever do for the world? While Hasselhoff, <laughs> on the other hand, you know, has been instrumental in shaping the 20, 20th century, I would yeah, say. Yeah, absolutely. Especially, you know, certainly in uniting the two sides back together again by standing on the wall in a leather jacket and singing. Yeah. Well, we got to hang out, not with Mikhail Gorbachev, but we got to hang out with almost, almost somebody quite as cool as that, which is Stefan Sagmeister. Oh, yeah. Mm. Who did what I think was probably the best conference talk I've ever seen. <laughs> what made it so good? Well, he got the audience singing, for one thing. Yeah. He got 400 <laughs> Germans standing up and singing. Why is it funnier that it was 400 Germans? <laughs> and they weren't singing Deutschland, Deutschland, Uber Alice either. God, oh, dude, we're doing so well. Adi. Anyway, what was interesting about Stefan, I think, was the fact that I hadn't heard him talk before and read his stuff a lot and all that stuff recently about, you know, you're not a storyteller, it's bullshit, you're a designer, that kind of thing. Yeah. His delivery took me aback when it first started because it was quite slow and very considered. But I think he actually could have got the audience sort of hanging on every single word the way the way he delivered it. Um And it was a brilliant presentation. But, you know, he's one of these people that takes a year off from work. What was it, every seven years or something? What yeah, he it takes a sabbatical, yeah. Yeah. How how does that work? I, I, I just can't comprehend ever earning enough to just go, oh, screw it for a year. Well, yeah, that's just it. Obviously, I mean, he's, he's not short of a few bob. He's done some good high-profile jobs, hasn't he? He's not been a slacker. Yeah. That, that, that would probably be it. That's where I fall down. <laughs> but yeah, the whole kind of the, the secret to happiness being hiring a scooter and driving around Bali. I think, <laughs> yeah. Yes, that's great. Could I do it too? <laughs> oh no. I, yes. Money, family, you know, you all those You wouldn't get all your kids on the back of a scooter. I'm sorry. No. <laughs> you have a little trailer behind them. <laughs> But no, it was a fabulous, fabulous conference. And, well, I just want to say, because I know he listens to the show, I want to say thank you to Mark. Yeah, it was, it was great. And he, he, he treats you like royalty. It's great. Well, I need to, uh, I need to have a quiet word with him about him settling my hotel bill before I, before I left. Oh. Which, um, which was very naughty of him. And I'm going to have to pay him back. Oh, I see. Yes. Ooh. Did well there. So, uh, but anyway, but no, fabulous. And thank you, Mark, and mm. everybody else that was there in Germany, because it was brilliant. And I would say that if you're going to be anywhere near or can be anywhere near Dusseldorf in May, then you really, really, really ought to go to the Beyond Talleyrand that's happening down there as well, because you've got Sarah Swedan and uh, Jeff Veen's going over and a whole bunch of other people. 
And uh, that's going to be fab too. In fact, I might try and get over there myself. Yeah. Well, it, and yeah, it's, it does sound like a good event. And Berlin was fantastic. We think we're going to go, we're going to go back for a holiday next year. I think. No, loved it. Have you not been to Berlin, Paul? Um, I've been through Berlin when I was about 18 on my way to Poland. Um, and it was not long after the wall had come down, actually. Um, so there was this really big difference as you drove from West Berlin to East Berlin. Um, so that is my Berlin experience, which is, is fairly poor, really. But then I've never been to Paris either. Yeah, I'm a bad European. The route to Poland is usually through Berlin, I hear. <laughs> yes, it is, actually. Very much and the so. route to Paris as well. But anyway, moving swiftly <laughs> on. Ah, oh, this did, it should be like this little ding or this little bell that goes <laughs> off every time he does one. Oh, another clanger. <laughs> right. Speaking of clangers, I want to get a sponsor out of the way before we get into Doctor Who. I thought you were going to reference the clangers as in the, the children's TV program. Yeah. No, well, do you see, there is a link to Doctor Who and some of the things that we're going to be talking about when you mention the clangers. Ah, is that? Yes. Well, yeah, because there was. Oh, John knows about this. Yes. With the master, but we can come to that later. We'll come to that Ooh, in a minute. Oh, I'm, I'm interested. So let me tell you about our first sponsor this week because it's Gather Content, and that helps people who build websites to work with their clients to plan, organize, and collaborate on web content. So I bet everyone that's ever made a website for a client or for their company, they're going to know what I mean when I say that planning, gathering, organizing, and collaborating on content is one of the trickiest parts of any project. Because people email you content in Word or Excel or sometimes even in PowerPoint documents, and you can't blame them because those are the applications that regular people use every day. But then we have to sift through what's often multiple documents and cut and paste what's useful out of them, and then you've got to keep track of everything, and people send you the same file twice, and oh, it's just such a nightmare. And then there's finding a way to collaborate over changes, because I often edit clients' copy for them and write new copy. You know, I'm really picky about the content that goes into the things that I design. And then I have to tell them what I've changed. And all of this can take longer than designing the damn website. So working with content can be a nightmare, but that's where Gather Content comes in. It's a web application that helps you keep all of your content in one place. You can collaborate with clients on changes and get approval when you need it with Gather Content's reminders and due dates. And Gather Content breaks content down to help you guide your clients and copywriters through what needs to be written. And when you're done, export that approved content directly into a CMS using one of their plugins or the API. Now, the setup of special pages for listening to the show, it's unfinished.bz slash gather content. And even better, if you sign up through that page and you use the offer code unfinished, you'll get, wait for this, 20% off your subscription to gather content forever. 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 That's it. I know. It's not like it's just a one off offer. 30, 30 days. Forever. I was, I was just about to, to do a fake gasp because you said, wait to this. You really built it up. <laughs> and I thought, hey, this is going to be shit, isn't it? Free pen or something like that. And then you said 20%. I was like, yeah. And then you said forever. And then I really did go, <gasps> just saying. Yeah. It's good. It is. It's very, very good. So we better explain to Paul then about the Clangers connection. Yeah. You'll just make this shit. No, up. no, no, no. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> do, do, who wants to go for this one? Then? No, no, you go for it. Well, basically, in, in the John Pertwee story, The Sea Devils, the master is seen actually watching the Clangers on telly. No. Um, and s seriously, 
Uh, basically, he makes some comment about, you know, some sort of intelligent life form or something. But he does this great bit where, you know, the clangers do the... Yeah. And he, he the master sort of does it back to them and kind of like, you know, he's sort of amused by it. No, seriously, go on YouTube, type in master clangers, and you'll see that scene. It's, it's real, man. I'll right. put a link in the show notes. It was the 70s, though. Everything happened in the 70s. It was all so much cooler then, wasn't it? It was, yeah. When we were young. <laughs> yes. So before we get to what I think we're going to get to, which is the season finale, mm-hmm. I thought that it would be a good idea that we, ooh, you know, just have a bit of a season wrap-up. Because I think this was a, a season that the three of us were particularly looking forward to, perhaps. Mm. Yes. You know, three men of a certain age. Watching a children's telly program. Oh, there goes the clanger bell again. But, you know, I was really looking forward to it because I've got to confess, I wasn't that impressed with the last series, apart from the 50th. I thought that that was excellent. But the last series didn't really kind of uh, butter my bun. Mm. <laughs> I've got to say, I, I just have a problem with the doctor being younger than me. It just seems wrong somehow. It's like when you go to a real doctor, you know, you, the GP. And you walk in and, and the, the doctor looks about 14 and, you know, it, it takes away your, your confidence. Yeah. You know, I, I want some old, you know, grumpy, miserable doctor. And that's what I've got with, uh, with Peter. And that, that makes me very happy. That's why my expectations were so high. <laughs> I mean, I, I agree with you, Andy. I think the last season was terrible. And actually the one before I wasn't a big fan of either. I think, you know, season six and seven were rubbish. I thought Matt Smith's first season was great. It was really good stories and really good personal stories. You know, it wasn't all about alien invasion or world domination or anything. It was all about, you know, like Vincent van Gogh or, you know, Amy uh. having to choose. And they say that's two have been a bit downhill, a bit kind of, you know, Moffat trying to be a bit too clever. Um, but I would put this season, um, Maybe not quite on a par with season five, but it's definitely as, you know, the second best to it. Big improvement. Well, it's is odd because a lot of people, I was reading a review on The Verge, because weirdly, I mean, I'm talking about that American connection again, but The Verge have been reviewing every episode this mm. year for this season. Yeah. Um, and they actually said that it was a strong finish to an otherwise disappointing season. But I mean, there were a couple of howlers here and there. Oh, yes. Yeah. But they have to be. You can't have every episode, every story being brilliant. I don't think you'd appreciate the good ones. If it had. I know, but Doctor Who is more hit and miss than a lot of... I, I was trying to describe... I was talking about this on our podcast with Marcus, and, and I was saying to him, Doctor Who's one of those things that, that when it's good, it's really, really good. Yeah. Um, but it can be quite terrible sometimes. <laughs> uh, you know, it can be, uh, uh, I'm embarrassed that I'm a fan of this show. Yeah. Just occasionally. <laughs> <laughs> and then once or twice this season, I felt a bit like that, to be honest. But overall, I totally agree. I think it was a superb season. Mm. But there were one or two rocky moments. And I'm just looking back. I've got the iTunes page open which lists all the episodes that I haven't got. I haven't bought the season pass on iTunes yet, but I probably will do just to have it. I thought into the, into the Dalek was a bit, I had a lot of potential, but didn't really quite do it for me. Yeah. I wasn't keen on that one. Um, I think the worst was robots of Sherwood has to be. And I think, well, yeah, oh really? You're a fan of that one. 
it was funny. It just made me laugh out loud. And, and I, I was, I just really liked the kind of offset of this grumpy, miserable doctor who thinks he knows everything next to this very comical, very camp, <laughs> very funny, um, you know, Robin Hood, who also thought he knew everything. And I, mm. I thought it was as a comedy episode, I think it was quite entertaining. Um, but, but yeah, I can understand people not liking it. I think it was the fact that they spent I don't know, about 10 minutes in the middle, just bickering. Like when the two of them were just in a cell, I just, yeah. Okay. <laughs> Let's move on. The joust on the log <laughs> was quite, funny i like that. yeah the it had, it had its moments you know and it's i usually like the mark gator stories um but this time i just yeah it, it was it was you have these you have these stories that you think great i have to watch that again and digest it all and and you know take it in and there's some you think right i don't need to look at that again and robots are sure it was definitely a don't need to watch that again one Right, so let's start at the beginning of the season and work through. Mm. I mean, it's very tedious for people listening, but really, I just <laughs> let's don't be care. systematic about this. Yeah. Well, I think so, but no. Okay, so we got the first one. We have got deep breath, mm. and that's the one where somehow they felt the need to get Matt Smith on the phone. You don't like that bit, by the sounds of it. But yeah, you know, did we really need that? I liked it. I liked I thought, it. As I well. thought it was quite a touching moment. Yeah. It's like when they brought him into that fabulous, oh God, and I've just forgotten the name of it now, but the, um, the William Hartnell story that was on the sort of the biopic. Oh yeah. Yeah. The documentary one. I can't remember what it was called either. No. Or the adventure in space and time. That's it. If only we had somebody on this podcast that actually knew about Doctor Who. <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> thank God you're there. Never mind. And and I thought that the weakest part of that was the fact that they needed Matt Smith to to kind of uh, hallucinate him. Ah, again, I that's one of the bit I really liked that kind of the the passing on the baton, you know, that kind of this is the future, this is where it's been heading, you know. No, I I got I got a bit sentimental about that one, and I kind of got got a bit got a bit watery eyed. I think the thing with Deep Breath, the first one of this series, was that it did set up this different relationship between Doctor and the Assistant. Mm. And that's been something which, for the most part, that's, I think that's been one of the kind of defining story arcs of the series so far. Yeah. It has to do a big job, doesn't it, to set, set up the characters um, and interest you. But I, I really love Deep Breath. I've seen some really mixed reviews. In fact, some people are saying it's one of the worst ones I think that they thought. But I, I love, I mean, for, for a start, I love the whole Paternoster gang, the whole Victorian side of it. And, and Strax, I can see maybe some people, you know, find it a bit annoying, but that's where my comedy relief comes in. I think again, getting Strax in, he's brilliant. I like him. I, what I didn't get was they, they obviously wanted to do a big entrance. Right, so they introduced oh, this yeah. mutant giant dinosaur, and and then it was totally really irrelevant to the rest of the plot. And so you just think, why why include that? Doctor Who has this habit of of dropping in occasionally random things that that don't aren't really ever properly explained or have this kind of don't seem to tie in with the, the, the story or don't link up in any way. And that, that, that dinosaur felt very much part of that. It was a great episode. Just take away the dinosaur. Yes. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's all that grand entrance stuff, isn't it really? Yeah. Um, 
but some really chilling moments. You know, I think the whole kind of the half face man was realized mm. really well. And the, and the way that you could sort of have that moment near the end of, you know, was he pushed or did he fall out by himself? And we still don't really know, but you know, oh yeah, it's some really good acting. Tying that back to the, uh, was it Lady in the Fireplace? The, the, the original one with the clockwork. Mm. That was a nice little touch, I thought, as well. I liked that. That worked well, I think. And then we had the Dalek episode, which uh, I thought there was a good concept there. There was, yeah. And, I, I, and, and the fact that when you repaired it, the fact that that was actually, you know, that was not what you wanted, you know, <laughs> put it back into a proper Dalek again. Um, I think there was a lot of, you know, we're trying to point out the fact that this, this doctor's a bit kind of crueler, a bit, uh, actually maybe not crueler, but a bit more, but more blunt, you know, and, and it was kind of, it seemed to be a lot of pushing that in this episode. But he has, he has seemed a bit cruel. Did you say cruel or cool? I did say cruel and I kind of backtracked a bit, but cause that's always been one of the things, isn't it? You know, never cruel or cowardly is supposed to be, but, um, there's things like, you know, when they, they land in that gloop, and they sort of say, you know, where their, where their colleague was. And he says, well, it's top layer if you want to say a few words, you know. Um, and it's, it's, in some ways it was quite, you know, quite refreshing to have someone so, you know, who isn't wet or isn't, you know, pussyfooting around with the other thing. But at the same time, it, it sort of started to border on the, on the nasty, I think. Mm. But isn't that been a kind of overarching theme of the, the whole season of who is he? You know, yeah. right until that very final episode, it's, you know, where he comes to this realization he's neither good nor bad and all of that. I mean, that felt like the overarching theme to me. And I, I think the other thing that I've quite liked about this doctor in kind of juxtaposition to, to Matt is I feel like they're almost playing different sides of an autistic guy. <laughs> <laughs> you know, you've, you've got Matt Smith who, who are, well, both of them, both Matt Smith and the doctor have this, and, and, and Peter have this kind of, um, this lack of social skills, don't they? Yes. You know, that is yeah. one of the kind of fundamental characteristics of the doctor is this lack of fundamental social skills. And, you know, it, it's just come out in two different ways with these two different doctors. You know, with Matt Smith, it was always somewhat goofy and, and, you know, silly and, and, and oblivious. And with this doctor, it's much more kind of, um, blunt, isn't it? But it's the same. I think it's the same characteristic that underlies it, just manifested in two different ways. Yeah. Well, that's a really good insight. Yeah. He's spent a lot more time on his own this series because it seems to me, I don't know whether I'm reading this wrong, but he goes off and has adventures on his own and then just picks Clara up when either he or she wants it. Yeah. There's like a big span of, of time. And I don't think we've seen that for, a, well, a long time. Yeah. And uh, to be honest, that was one of the aspects I didn't like. Because there was a lot of that kind of toing and froing. You remember, like the last Christmas uh, story? Um, there was a lot of going with Clara, going backwards and forwards between Clara present day and a you know uh, Christmas lunch with her with her family and Trenzalore, and then back again and back again. And it just started to get a bit, I don't know, a bit like wasting good time that you could be spending doing other things rather than just going backwards and forwards. You know, I quite like the old kind of companion way of you're on the TARDIS, you know, you don't, you don't go home until yeah. you've, you've had enough, you know. I'm sorry. I've got to interrupt just a minute. You guys need to look very briefly at Twitter um, and at Cole Henley. 
because he has posted the most lovely photograph I've ever seen. Oh no. It's not the one that he did it of is um the one. Oh god. <laughs> this is when we did the um uh the Doc Two auction in, in London. Okay. And uh yeah, he put this I think basically it's I think he, he came up with this photo really quickly. So I think he already had it in his collection. Right. <laughs> it's a bit worrying. It's the fact that yeah, he he does this for a pastime, obviously, and has a little collection of them somewhere, <laughs> yes. which is quite disturbing. <laughs> I'm going to put a link in the show notes for listeners to this horrific image. It if is. It's, it's ge- basically it's John Hicks as what's that McCoy? Yeah. And then, uh, and then Andy looking up adoringly as what, Bonnie Tyler. Bon- yeah. Bonnie Langford. Langford, sorry. Lang- no, Bonnie, Bonnie Tyler was, um, she was an 80s pop singer with yeah. way too big hair. Well, so was Bonnie Langford as far as the two <laughs> hair It's true. Yeah, it's time in the Rani. So it's, uh, oh, but you know what? It seems to fit really well. <laughs> I just mean kind of like in terms of like, you know, the head angles and that kind of Talking about Rani, Rani's the, the mad scientist Time Lord woman. Is yes. that correct? Have I got yes. that right? She was basically the when they wanted a female master, yeah. Yeah. Well, that's what I thought Missy was going to be. Yeah, me too. Well, don't jump ahead. Sorry. Because <laughs> we're going to be, I think we want to talk about have Missy. we still got to go through the rest of the season? No, we don't have to. We can cherry pick <laughs> the ones. I'll tell you what, let's just pick the ones that we think were the best. Ooh. I really like Time Heist. Yeah. Mm. I think that's one of the best ones that there's been for quite a long time. And I actually really quite like the caretaker one as well for no real reason. <laughs> well, I don't know. There was the, the, the enemy was a bit rubbish, but there was this really nice moment where the doctor thinks he knows what Clara's boyfriend is. Oh, and that's he, brilliant. And he has that yeah. really kind of charming kind of moment of where he thinks, Oh, Clara, you know, <laughs> because he, he's someone who reminded me of, you know, who you used to be of Matt know, Smith. Yeah. With the bow tie. And is that a look on Capaldi's face? You know, it's like the first time he kind of melts almost in this whole season. About the only time actually. Um, well, he does play comedy very well. Mm. Mm. He does so he actually. did show that kind of lighter side, which I thought was really good. I really enjoyed the mummy on the Orient Express. Yeah. I just, it was a good old fashioned, you know, I don't know. It had that, that kind of pro feel about it. And it was, I don't know. It was just a lovely episode. Mm. I haven't got anything else to say other than I really enjoyed it. <laughs> <laughs> well, it was quite, it was quite pacey from the start, wasn't it? The whole kind of mm. the 66 seconds. Mm. Um, and the fact that, you know, the doctor was, had found this way of reversing it so that he could see it and not anybody else. Uh, and was able to sort it out in that 66 seconds. And the whole kind of this, this Gus character that, that took them there. I think that's going to be an interesting one that they're going to hopefully come back to in the future. Cause it was a good, it was a good villain, you know, that you never saw him. And you had such control over them, you know, being able to do things like, well, if you don't do as you're told, I'm going to eject the, um, the coach with all the cooks into the, you know, into space. So yeah, I thought that was, that was a highlight as well. It was that, that, perfect balance that i loved of the doctor being at his bet you know his best and his fastest and his quickest i love yeah. that when you know when the pressure's on and he comes up with this amazing solution da, 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 da. yet on the other hand he was being outfoxed by this unseen villain the whole way through it mm. um and i liked that kind of seeing his brilliance but his his weakness at the same time i thought that was nice 
and he obviously deliberately walked into it, didn't he? Because he knew it was going to be a bit of a trap. Um, yes. You know, there's, there's, there's someone who's been trying to tempt him before to do this. Um, I did wonder if they'd ever come back to that story. So that was good. The best one, surely, of the entire season, mine was Flatline. Oh, ah, I, so. I thought you were going to say listen. <laughs> no, really? Uh, flatline. Okay. <laughs> I loved Flatline. Mm-hmm. Well, I, I just thought it's such a clever idea. Um, I loved the idea of two dimensional aliens. I loved the idea of the, the, you know, the playing with dimensions, which is what time lords are all about and do anyway. I loved the comedy aspect of it. I just thought it was a brilliant, fun episode, really, <laughs> that ticked all the boxes for me. Yeah, no, it was great. So you liked Listen, did you? Yeah, well, I think basically you've all listed the ones that I think are my favourites, but Listen is the one that hasn't been mentioned yet. I think it was, I mean, it's very sort of typical Moffat, the whole kind of trying to take a childhood fear and make a story out of it. But I, I love the way it was done, especially with the, um, the awesome pink in the future, which is another thing to come to later on. Oh, oh yes. <laughs> so, you know, how does he look the same when, you know, anyway. Um, uh, yeah, Listen did it so well because you, you had that thing of, well, it could have been an alien under the bedclothes. It could have been someone playing a prank and we don't know. But what was good about it was the way it was all presented. And, um, it was, it was just, yeah, it made the best use of the 45 minutes. I thought, can we forget about kill the moon completely? Yeah, oh. it, it started off. Okay. I thought, but the moon's an egg. <laughs> <laughs> and it lays an egg as big as itself as soon as it I goes know. away. <laughs> See, this is a classic example of what I was talking about. That's uh, of Star, uh, you know, of, of Doctor Who that just kind of ignores basic stuff. If this had been a Star Trek episode, right? And I'm, you know, I'm not comparing necessarily, but Star Trek will make a point of explaining how something is possible. Well, Doctor Who has got this habit of just kind of glossing over stuff like that. Yeah. So, for example, oh, all the dead bodies in the ground have turned into Cybermen. So, how did that happen? Are we are we presuming it's nanotechnology here? What what's the mechanism? You know, and other sci-fi series might explain it. Well, Doctor Who just goes, well, we're going to believe this now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and, and I don't mind that. It's okay to some extent, mm. but just every now and again, it gets under my skin. And and Kill the Moon was a great example of that. It's like this does not make sense. And the whole kind of you know, turn your lights off to vote or turn your lights on <laughs> come on yeah. <laughs> no yeah. there was there was i think it started well the whole kind of you know um humanity was sort of near the end and it was a really old you know there's the shuttle basically with an old crew and yeah it it was all going really well and the, all these spiders were very interesting and i think there's something more to it but then apart from all the kind of the non-scientific bits the whole kind of leaving clara to it and just you know sodding off um, yeah, I didn't 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 sit well with me. Well, he sort of did that again with the forest episode, didn't he? Yeah, with the whole kind of it's difficult. I mean, again, compared to previous seasons, I I really like these stories. They were quite good, but there were just a few kind of elements to it that were a bit, you know, just spoilt it in the end. I think. I don't think they've really nailed his personality yet. Yeah, well, I think the problem is that the first season that a lot of the writers they don't really sort of know what they're writing for until the second no. series, you know, until they've actually seen him perform. Um, cause what, what, there was one of them, wasn't there? There was one, was it the caretaker where he was doing all the shutter tea up and it sounded like he was going to go into Malcolm Tucker mode, <laughs> you know, 
What's Malcolm Tucker? Andy. No, I don't know what Malcolm Tucker is. You've never watched In the Thick of It? No, never. All right. (gasps) I would have thought even if you hadn't watched it, you may have known that Peter Capaldi was in In the Thick of It. Oh, right. Okay. All right. Well, in that case, you've got to watch as a YouTube video um, where I think it says Malcolm Tucker is the doctor. So it, it takes his lines from In the Thick of It and blends it with Doctor Who footage. So you oh, get no, that's just wrong. You get the you know this picture of Daleks, and you hear Peter Capaldi hordes of <laughs> robots. You know, and <laughs> it's it's really well put together. It doesn't last long; it's only about a minute or so. It's like okay, we'll long. Put a, a link in the show notes. We can find us out. What you need to know, Andy, about Malcolm Tucker is that he swears continually from beginning to end. He's a spin doctor <laughs> yeah. and a and a, a chief whip. And, and the contrast of, of Doctor Who to Malcolm Tucker is just, uh, you know, worlds apart. So it is, you know, putting the two together in, in any kind of video is just deeply, deeply wrong. Although I thought he kind of came a bit close <laughs> in this one. <laughs> apart from the, apart from the lack of swearing. I mean, obviously, you know, Malcolm Tucker was just filth, you know, every other word, but the, it, in attitude and, and everything, it kind of, it got a bit close sometimes, I thought. Mm. Well, looking at this Verge review, mm-hmm. and they've got here the personal rankings for season eight. So he's got here must watch. They've got listen and death in heaven. Mm. I would agree with that. Mm. Uh, fun as hell, time heist, mummy on the Orient Express, and flatline. So, yep. Mm-hmm. Yep. Should probably watch for the sake of the canon, dark water and deep breath. Yeah. Mm, yeah. Possibly. It could go either way for The Caretaker and Forest of the Night. Yeah, I'd probably go for that. Mm-hmm. Let's forget these existed. <laughs> Into the Dalek, Robin of Sherwood. Robert of Sherwood. Why do I always say that, Robin? Rob, Rob, I can't even say it this time. <laughs> Robot of Sherwood mm-hmm. and Kill the Moon. Yeah, pretty much. Mm. Yeah, I disagree about Robert of Sherwood. I, I, I like that. It made Robert? me laugh. <laughs> Robert. I, I tried to do Robin and Ro- Robot at the same time. It's Rabbit of Sherwood. It's <laughs> Rabbit of Sherwood. So, in general then, Peter Capaldi, good choice? I think so. I think I think also there's been a very Clara-heavy season. A lot of people have been saying about this, which I don't think has given Peter Capaldi necessarily the chance to shine, and also the fact that they've given him some quite kind of... Cruel or sadistic moments, which maybe, you know, put people off him. But I think he's great. I really hope that he's going to stick around for a few seasons because I think that they could really, really develop his character in the way that they could with, let's say, John Pertwee. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So, you know, I'm pleased with it. I think he's there to retirement now, isn't he? This is a retirement <laughs> plan. <laughs> it wouldn't surprise me if he doesn't turn out to be the longest serving doctor. I just think he's going to go all the way straight through to retirement. Well, Which, yeah. Personally, I think he's wonderful. I think he's a great, he's a great choice. I've been desperate for a darker doctor for, you know, for the Matt Smith era. And I did enjoy Matt Smith, but mm. uh, you know, I wanted, I wanted something a little bit darker. Um, I think he fits that perfectly. I think he, he reflects some of the, the classic doctors that, that new watchers have never got to see that side of Doctor Who. So yeah, I think it's brilliant. Yeah. Good. Let me quickly do another sponsor. Mm-hmm. And I really like it when conferences, conference sponsors come back for a second year. 
And I really like it when they want me to talk about them really far in advance, which is why the fabulous people at the Dot York conference, they're my best friends. Because Dot York, that's taking place on the 9th of April, 2015. Man, I can't even think that far ahead. And it's happening at the Grand Opera House in York. And it's a digital conference for curious minds. That's what they say. And for everyone that's involved in making things for the web. And they've got some great speakers in their lineup. They've got regular co-host, designer and artist, Brendan Dawes. Oh, he's nice. I like Brendan. He's always good value. Designer whose past work includes working for Dropbox and Code Academy and Treehouse. Author of Psychology for Designers, Joe Leach. Award-winning digital artist, Sebley Delisle. He was in Berlin. He was pretty brilliant. I saw him in Oslo um, a few weeks ago, and he was doing good stuff there too. So he's really, really good. And uh, they've also got someone called Anna Debenham, whose name rings a bell, but I can't quite think where from. It's one of those people that you talk at on your show every week. <laughs> she has agreed to come back for the hundredth. To be talked at again. <laughs> she really is. I don't talk at people. <laughs> no, definitely no, not. No, 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 no. Anyway, there'll be more speakers than that. Like all the best conferences, Dot York is a single track. Yay! Even though the ticket prices are incredibly reasonable, Dot York isn't run for a private profit because any money that they make from events and conferences like this mean that they can do more to support the industry in York, which is a really, really beautiful city. Tickets went on sale uh, just last week and they're priced at 110 of our British pounds. Um, but and this is brilliant. Students and under 18s tickets, they're free, which is oh. a lovely thing to do. And I really, really hope that students and young people are going to go and support the event because, you know, Craig Lockwood, he did free student tickets. Yeah. For, um, for the web is. Yeah. Which, uh, I was also at a couple of weeks ago. Didn't have a single person take him up on it. Not one. No. Not one. That's insanity. I know. Exactly. I just could not believe that. Young people today. So <laughs> if you're a student, free ticket. Brilliant. Please go along and support it. If you're not a student and you are over 18, like two out of the three of us, you can get a 10% discount off the standard ticket price with the offer code unfinished. And you go to unfinished.bz slash dot york. I'm spelling that out. D-O-T-Y-O-R-K dot york. And you buy a ticket for next year's dot york. Don't wait around till April. Just like get one now. Back to where we were. Where was that? It's grim up north is what John, I presume, has just put into the show notes. No idea. It's not grim up north. It's, it's where all the cool stuff happens. Right. Death in heaven. Then. I was worried I wasn't going to get to see this in time. Oh, yeah. And I'm, I'm very annoyed at the two of you. because <laughs> I posted on Twitter that I wasn't going to get to watch this today. And then the two of you started discussing it <laughs> over Twitter and half of the friggin' internet joined in. I didn't all do copying that. me in on it. So I had to just close. I just stopped looking at Twitter. Well, we're recording this on Monday night and I didn't get to watch it until last night when I came home from Berlin because I couldn't get my VPN working. Oh. So when John's talking about, Ooh, wasn't expecting this. I'm like, no. Do you mean you say if you're wanting to avoid spoilers, you had to stay off Twitter? That's news. I had made a comment to my wife about how great the people I followed were because oh. they were, they were people that knew not to spoil stuff on Twitter. And then within a breath, 
there's Mr. Hicks spamming Twitter about <laughs> the latest Doctor Who episode. Come on. I tried to forget what he'd said and just put it out of my mind. <laughs> to be honest, as soon as I saw the words Hicks design, I thought that's going to be spoilers about Doctor Who. So I didn't read it. Yeah, right. So you read right. it. <laughs> no, I, I honestly didn't. I honestly didn't. But you're normally really good with the no spoilers rule. Well, do you know what? I tend to, to I take the view of if, if I haven't seen it and I need to watch it, I, I just stay off Twitter until I've seen it. Yeah. I just think, you know, if you want to avoid spoilers, that's, that's what you do. But, you know, people who've seen it and want to talk about it and go, Oh my God, then that's what they ought to do. But I can, looking back, actually, that was a bit of a big spoiler. And I could have worded it in a way that meant that people who watched it would have known what I meant and people who hadn't wouldn't have been sad it spoiled necessarily. I honestly, I honestly didn't see what you wrote. What did you write that was such a big story? <laughs> well, I, I said the brigadier bit made me cry. Oh, okay. And I said poor Osgood. I, it was a waste of a, a character to kill her off. Yeah, I think she'll be back. I don't know. I mean, this is Doctor Who. They can bring anybody back. Well, let's talk about bringing people back in a minute because I want to. I've got a bit of beer in my bonnet about this. I need to find out why. Mm. why they can't bring people back. But let's just, this is the big thing for me. Updated Cybermen. Oh, yeah. Do you like the new design? Well, it was, the, when was it new? Nightmare in Silver last year, which is one of the worst stories of Doctor Who ever. And it was Neil Gaiman. But this is, these are different Cybermen to that, though. No, They've got a new design again, haven't they? No, these are the same no. ones as the Nightmare in Silver ones, I think. With the blue mouth? Mm-hmm. Interesting, because I, I hadn't seen those before. Oh, right. I mean, th these were different in the sense that they didn't actually do anything. No, they just stood around. And apart flew. from ripping apart the, the um, unit aeroplane. But apart from that, they just stood around, didn't they? Yeah. One presumes they were supposed to be a different type of Dalek. Sorry, Dalek. <laughs> Can't even get the right baddie. A different type of Cybermen because they'd been created by the Master. Yes. Um, yeah. And they didn't seem to have that super fast movement thing that they had previously. Yeah, that's true. Um, and they had flying, which they didn't seem to have in the other incarnation. Yeah, very Iron Man, wasn't it? Yeah. So they weren't really Cybermen in the strictest sense of the word then. They well, were more just kind of in the shape of Cybermen. I guess so. I mean, they were, to all intents and purposes, they were Cybermen, but they were very much controlled by Missy. So they didn't do anything unless Missy told them to, um, which was the whole thing about the bracelet, wasn't it? Um, but they, I think basically the, the Cybermen weren't the point of the story, were they? They were kind of one of the pawns in the story. They were kind of one of the things that were used. Um, and they were sort of sold as being the threat. So when they, in the um, previous episode, the penultimate one, where they had the Cybermen coming out of St. Paul's to look like the, uh, the invasion that the classic story where the old Cyberman came out down past the steps. Um, that was, that's what we were being sold as, as being the threat. Uh, and at that point, or almost up to that point, Missy had been this person that just welcomed people when they died to heaven. Um, and it was that nice subtle switch at the very end that actually the Cybermen weren't really there to do anything terrible. And it was actually Missy that was the threat. I thought that the part, in oh god what was that first episode called dark water mm. i thought that was brilliant where you had the skeletons in the tank of dark water 
Mm. And then it, when it was only drained out, I mean, you knew that they were coming. You know, there'd yeah. been those hints with the the shape of the windows in the doors and things like that. The tears. I I completely missed that. I absolutely had completely missed that. So it was a surprise to me. I didn't have a clue that it was Cybermen in that episode. That's how stupid I am. But it, I was actually glad to be stupid because suddenly it was like, oh, that's why the windows are like that. Oh, yeah. So it, it totally got me. I, I, I fell for it hook, line and sinker. Well, it was quite chilling, I thought. It's quite a mm. scary image. You know, mm. you've got all the skeletons of, you know, dead people in these display cabinets. Which actually leads me on to another question, which we haven't got in the show notes, but I'm going to ask it anyway. Virtually all of this series, they've been showing it after 8 o'clock oh, on BBC yeah. One. Now, I know that Strictly Come Bloody Dancing has <laughs> probably pushed Doctor Who later in the evening, but is this is, is, are they putting it on later because there were some scarier episodes? I think it's a bit of both, isn't it? I mean, I think Strictly is the, the big sort of BBC flagship Saturday night entertainment. Um, but I think also that the tone of the whole series was a lot darker. I mean, all that stuff, they got in trouble, didn't they? Last, last for the dark water, for the, um, all that stuff about the don't cremate me. That was very scary. Which is very sinister. And actually, in the end, turned out to be complete bollocks. That (laughs) just turned out to be a a cover story. Um, so it's a pretty, pretty sort of, you know, odd way to do it, you know, to get yourself in trouble with the public and, and put the shits up them just for actually that was just Mrs. Lying, you know. I missed that with being away on holiday. Did, what was, what was the argument against that? Uh, I think the people just saying that it was a little bit kind of close to the mark, a bit tasteless, you know, cause you, there's a scene where you can hear, um, uh, someone being burnt, well, apparently being burnt in the background, but we don't know that for sure. And Seb's all kind of, um, you know, Chris Addison, you were just being all kind of very jokey about it and saying, Oh, we've got a burner, you know. Um, it's, I think the, the, there's a few complaints basically, and there hasn't been complaints about Doctor in that sense for a long time. So, so I think that's good. I mean, the fact that the dead are aware of what's happening to their bodies is mm. a very dark. It was a great idea, and in a sense, it was a shame that actually that wasn't the actual reason. You know, I think it's a shame that that didn't turn out to be quite the truth, you know, all that build-up. It does make me wonder sometimes how how they can make things that just don't quite join up. I mean, is that just part of the charm of it, or is are we overthinking it? <laughs> a bit of both again. <laughs> but I don't know what you felt, but I, I just felt that the last two episodes, while I really enjoyed them, there's a lot of time spent on red herrings and false trails. So there was the whole kind of 3W and the fact that they, you know, this wasn't, you know, people go when they die. It was, they, you know, being uploaded into this kind of matrix type thing. Uh, they had Clara saying that she never existed and that she was in fact the doctor to the extent that they actually had the opening credits with Clara's eyes in it. I noticed that. Oh, I do. I miss that. I see. I need to pay. Do more you watch attention. Doctor Who, Paul? I, I do. <laughs> I do. But for for somebody that used to be a designer, I'm not very visually aware. I just don't pay attention to the world around me. But it was like another kind of, you know, a Moffat just trying to be all clever and you know, and leads on the false trail. And then there was all the stuff that you know, Missy's on about about you know, 24 hours, the human race won't exist. Actually, they will. Because it was a birthday present. Well, you know, it's all, there was a lot of time spent on false build-ups when actually we could have just had a bit more proper story, I think. 
Yeah, I mean, I would prefer more details filled out on what was right and what was actually going on than I would the, the red herrings to, to make the actual story feel more believable. Uh, this goes back to what I was saying earlier about things that we're just supposed to blindly accept, you know, and I, I yeah. prefer that more explanation side of things. How would you explain Cyberman pollen? Well, that's nanotechnology, is it not? Is it not a microscopic organisms falling from the sky that then convert the material around the dead body to become the armor suit? You know, it, it wouldn't take a lot. You could have said the word nanotechnology and that kind of covers everything. Doesn't it? Yeah, exactly. That would explain everything. <laughs> you can't see it, but it's there. It's little and it does shit. That's mm. all you need to know. But I, I, I'm, I'm being petty. I think but you've got to accept see, the thing that you've, the thing that I think a lot of people forget about Doctor Who is that it is trying to do fundamentally the impossible in that it's trying to appeal to this huge spectrum of people. You know, it is a kid's program. Um, it's also geeky nerds like us. Um, and then it's also supposed to be family entertainment that, you know, mum can sit down and watch as well. Mm. And that's a, a very, very difficult thing to achieve. So you're trying to kind of make it, you know, add the, the emotional elements into it. The, um, then you've got to have the explosions. Then everything's got to make sense for annoying people like us. And, <laughs> you know, and, and so I think they do remarkably well, really, in what they do. But you do need to sit down and watch it as family entertainment and not as Battlestar Galactica or something, you know? I mean, I think Moffat in the previous years, especially the one that had the, um, the impossible astronaut story arc, I kind of think it feels like he's trying to be too clever, but what actually comes out is this kind of a bit of a, a confusing mess, a bit of a jumble of ideas that isn't quite coherent enough. And I, and I thought it was better this season. I thought there was less of that. Um, and there's more, more strong load. So I think it was just really just a few elements like that that spoiled the last, the finale for me, I think. I can't deal with those big story arcs because I get very confused. Really? It's an age thing, I think. So the whole impossible astronaut thing was a nightmare for me. That was a ridiculously complicated one. I mean, I think the ones that work best, I think the story arc this time worked excellently. I did. Yeah. It was very, very simple and it just wove in and out the whole way through. I mm. think if you go right back to the very beginning of the modern Doctor Who, a bad wolf, I think that worked very well. How that was all tied together, a very simple theme that was just, you want that bit of mystery that goes from episode to episode and then crescendos at the end of the season. But yeah, impos the impossible um, astronaut just got impossibly complicated, basically. Yeah, it is. And it didn't quite make sense in the end, the whole kind of, you know, he's supposed to have died, but he managed to cheat it by being inside a big replica of himself, you know, didn't work. But then this one did, and it's the good story arc where you got that kind of nice intrigue. You know, you got a little bit of suggestions here and there and saying, okay, you know, you could spend some time guessing. You know, never would have guessed that Missy was the master. I thought that was a great reveal. It felt like there was quite a lot of, I don't know whether closure is the right word, but it felt like various i mean i know that that missy the master escaped but you know the clara's gone i'll talk about her in a minute but you know it just felt like it's being set up i mean we've got the christmas special coming up and then you know there'll be another season next year and it just felt that almost like this is it now you know they've cleared the decks and 
you know, there isn't any kind of stuff left over from the past really anymore. So now they can, I mean, I think the next season is going to be the one where it really kicks off. It'd be interesting, isn't it? I mean, Clara's back in the Christmas one. Is she? Yeah, mm-hmm. sorry. Uh-oh. You're <laughs> but, Mr. Spoiler, you are. Well, no, no, she's in the trailer, she's I think. in the trailer. <laughs> oh, okay. And I'm the one that apparently doesn't pay attention. <laughs> <laughs> All right, well, let's talk about Clara and let's talk about Danny Pink. Can I, can I say, uh, Clara, Christmas is her last one, correct? Is that, is that right? She's moving we don't on. No, we don't know for sure. I do hope so. Why do you hope so, Andy? Oh, well, she's, she actually has annoyed me now for probably two seasons. Um, and uh, at the beginning of this one, she was really, really annoying me. Um, <laughs> and then probably the complete polar opposite to Bruce Lawson, who seems to love Clara. Well, there yeah. you go. Um, <laughs> But no, it, I think it was, they worked her in quite well at, at, towards the end. But no, she's she's just been kind of annoying me really with those big eyes. <laughs> so <laughs> hang on, you don't like her because her eyes are too big. That's that's how you're dismissing her. I don't know. I just felt like I wanted something different, and yeah, she just felt that she. I don't know. I could have done without Clara this year. I just wanted uh, a change. I think it's come a, come a long way though, because um, if you, I don't know if you've watched Five Doctors recently. But there's this great bit where Sarah Jane um, comes back and she's deposited on the dead zone in Gallifrey, and she falls down a slight hill. I don't know if you remember this. It's like a slight, <laughs> it's like a very slight incline, and you know she's all got all panicky. And then um, John Pertwee comes up in Bessie and rescues her by giving her something to pull on. And you look at this incline that she's on. You know, it's barely a cliff. It's like you know, just slightly slanting away from the road. And you think we've we've come a long way from that kind of companion. <laughs> Where they just, you know, scream for help to someone like Clara, who can actually sort of basically take over in an episode like Flatline and do it all herself. I think that Jenna Coleman's performance has been excellent and her, the writing of her has been really good. I just felt that she's probably just overstayed her welcome a little bit. <laughs> yeah. uh, we, what we haven't had since the, the resurrection of the series is we haven't had a non- 20th century human companion mm. or 21st century should i say yeah. i mean there used to be you know we used to have you know scantily clad women from other amazonian country uh planets didn't we in that kind of yeah. thing yeah and people from history and, yeah yeah and we haven't had anything like that and i know why they're doing it because they're trying to ground it in reality and that kind of yeah. stuff yeah. but I, I could really do with a kind of you know a, a less a less Boring ass woman. <laughs> you know, come on, let's, let's, you know, let's have a green woman or a, a robotic woman or a, yeah. a man. Yeah. Or, you know, Madame de Pompadour or something. You know, something yeah. kind of, you know. I thought we were going to get Danny in the TARDIS. I really, really, really thought we were going to go back to the days where we had like a proper, and I don't mean that Rory wasn't a proper male companion, but I thought that <laughs> with the whole, he's not a soldier thing and that, that bit of that, tension at the beginning of the series mm. i just thought that we were going to get danny in the tardis and i was mortified when we didn't i mean obviously not as mortified as danny because you know he got hit by a car i thought that was quite nice actually the mundaneness of his death i did i i, I liked that mm. because yeah. it's so undoctor who it was a shock mm. To the extent where I kind of was convinced that he wasn't going to be dying, uh, dead in the end. 
I think they were yeah, going to do some something, type. something that would, would would stop it or prevent it or change it or, um, you know, having that shock of seeing him kind of half decayed basically inside a Cyberman suit, which was, it was quite an image, and mm. you know, it was a really touching moment. I haven't been that interested in Danny Pink for the season because he's he comes across for so an ex soldier he comes across a little bit wet, I think, mm. uh, or a little bit kind of like unsure or, um uncertain you know just a bit kind of i kind of expect him to be a little bit more kind of confident i think um but in the end that whole last season i think you know he really sort of made the best of his character i think i really liked the writing around him and i did like the writing about him and clara and their kind of comedy start relationship and all of that and i I really liked that i just thought that we were building up to him being on the tardis I've I got to admit, I was confused again. Uh, it, it, in that last episode, I didn't get the whole why suddenly this bracelet allowed him to send a kid back from somewhere and where exactly were they? And I thought all the cyber things had been killed by that point. Can someone describe what happened there to me or was that another random hole? I have no clue at all about <laughs> how that happened. No. I thought that the bit I did really didn't get from that was that where did this boy's body come from? Because, because Danny had only been dead, what, maybe a few days and he was already sort of looking a bit worse for the wear. But this, the, the boy that came from the nether sphere. Is that where he came from? But that was his consciousness. But then how, where did they get the body from? And why was the body so perfectly preserved? You know, that, that didn't work, you know, a bit weird. So that does one. that mean all of those cybermen that blew themselves up in space or whatever or in the cloud? Are they, they still all knocking around in that hard drive somewhere? Yeah, what happened to the hard drive? Well, I don't know. It's presumably still in St. Paul's. But it was shutting down, wasn't it? There's that scene where you, uh, Seb and Danny are watching yeah. all the lights go off and they're all being downloaded. So I presume that the Nether Sphere is empty, even if it is still there. I because presume the consciousness has got, got transferred into the Cybermen. Into, yeah. But then, but Danny managed to get back into the Nether Sphere somehow. Yeah, and then two weeks, two weeks later, sent through a boy. That uh, just confused me. So yeah, they had a backup of Danny, presumably. Well, they had that, that thing was downloading his consciousness. And I think the bracelet was a way of traveling, uh, into the Nether Sphere and back out again. Cause you notice that Missy could do that. Yes. Um, but that's like the Matrix. When they ever had the Matrix in, um, back on Gallifrey, um, that is it, the Deadly Assassin, one of the first ones they have it in. They, they, you know, beings can go into the Matrix where there's data, um, and, and sort of work, you know, live with it and, and, uh, converse with it. So I think that's what the whole bracelet thing was. But again, it's one of those moments of, you know, just, just tell them this is what's happening and they'll believe it, you know. That the, the yeah. somehow that the, you know this can do this can work. It wasn't a Fitbit then. I thought it was a Fitbit. <laughs> yeah. yeah, your health data not looking too good. <laughs> <laughs> no, you're right about that image of Danny in the cyber costume. That was pretty special. Mm. I liked that. There was a lot of pathos there, and I thought he played that incredibly well. Yeah, exactly. For all I've kind of thought of him being a little bit wet throughout the series, you know, it, it was really well performed, I thought, that final section. But why? Why couldn't the Doctor 
just why was the whole thing with Clara, you know, sealing the TARDIS keys or trying to, and then having to force the doctor to go back in time? Why, why couldn't he just do that? Why couldn't he go back in time and, you know, just like, <laughs> get this. just like, well, yeah, that, push Danny out of the way. Yeah. It's that whole explanation about fixed points in time and that you can't, you know, can't change it. But I, you know, it's always the way that it's always was peddled when there's something where you think, well, it's easy. Just go back in the TARDIS and change it, you know. Well, I suppose there was the episode where Rose saved her dad. Yes. Yeah, but that was because they'd gone back on their own timeline. In that case, it was okay to go back and look at what had happened. And then they went back again because she didn't run to help him. And it was the fact that she invaded her own timeline that caused the problem. If I, if I understood the episode correctly, which I probably didn't. <laughs> I think that's it, but I think it was also that and the fact that she changed history, that she changed this fixed yeah. point and that her dad did, cause once her dad died, that fixed everything. You know, everything was all right again after that. <laughs> but of well, course, it, then that, that, that throws up the issue with Danny dying and the fact that there's a future Danny. I was just going to mention that. Yeah. Well, I don't know. I mean, I guess <laughs> the family likeness can travel down that. That line without him, you know, he's maybe got a brother that looks the same or something. Who knows? Or, or it might be that, that Danny, you know, had a bit going on on the side and had got some girl <laughs> pregnant. Well, I'm just saying. Yeah, you know, could be. Or he could might, be. or he might have had, you know, he wasn't, he wasn't a really young guy. He might have had a previous family that they just hadn't talked about in the show. So I guess it's acceptable. Let's talk about unit for a minute and the rubbish be- guards. The guards were terrible. But oh, is she putting she's putting a lipstick on? Oh, should we shoot her? No, let's just leave her. Because I, you know, being a child of the seventies and being a John Pertwee man, yeah. Obviously, a lot of the the Doctor Who's that I remember from being a kid were all set on Earth, and Unit was a big part of it. And I used to really like all of that kind of stuff. Sea Devils can't get through an episode without talking about the Green Death, yeah, because um, you've got to. And I really thought that maybe Danny might turn into that kind of. Do you remember Captain Mike Yates? Mm. That kind of uh, the Brigadier's number two. Yeah, him and Benton, wasn't it? Yeah, that's right. And uh, and I thought that Danny might turn into that, but it. Didn't happen, obviously. Yeah, it, it seemed like a bit of a waste of a character, but not as I mean, Osgood especially was a waste of a character. You know, she was someone you could have imagined being a, a companion for a little while. But um, well, they even set it up, didn't they? they you yeah, know, it, there was this line of the Doctor saying, "How does all of space and time suit you?" Kind of attitude. Yeah, mm. he, was, he was he was offering, wasn't he? Basically, he, and he he still had. Clara on the go, and he was already lining up the next one. <laughs> uh, he knew it was over with Clara. Uh, did he, do you reckon? Oh, I think so. Yeah, it's been on the been on the cards, isn't it? It was nice to see Brigadier Sir Alistair Gordon Lethbridge Stewart back, though. Yeah, even if he was just a picture of Nicholas Courtney on the wall. <laughs> yeah, and, and can... a Cyberman. Yes. Now I couldn't quite understand how. How, how how come he was sort of self-determining and not just like a regular Cyberman in the way that Danny was? But then Danny wasn't, even after his inhibitor was on, um, he wasn't, he still wasn't quite, you know, it turned off his emotions, but he still, you know, he still wouldn't hurt Clara and he still helped, which is a bit like, what's her face in Doomsday? You know, the one with David Tennant, uh, that was the, um, the boss of Torchwood and she was cyberizing, but she still, 
you know, shot at the side man and shouted, you know, for queen and country, um, you know, without any emotion. But she's still, there's still an element of her there. Because we've seen quite a few major-ish characters turn into Cybermen. Because there was, um, there was Rose's mum at one point. Was it Rose's mum? Yeah, it was. Yeah. In the alternate universe. Yeah. Oh, I get confused. <laughs> With which one's which. Yeah. But yeah, that was right. But that was, I think, yeah, it was the, the Brigadier bit, as I said before, it, it did make me cry. It was, I think it moved me more than Danny and Clara. I would really quite like to see some more regular kind of earthy episodes. You know, I do remember those ones and I do mm. like those ones. And there used to be one, we've talked about this before, Doctor Who and the Demons. Oh, it's a great story. Which was fabulous. And there was, I don't know how many, one or two seasons, you know, with the whole Pertwee thing with Bessie, where they were solving mysteries rather than it being alien invasions the whole time. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, and sometimes there'd be covens of witches or Satanists or something like that. Um, and, and I like those and I could just imagine, you know, more of a unit working today, really. Yeah, exactly. And I'd, I'd really kind of hope that that's kind of almost where it was going to go, but then they killed off Osgood. At least, um, Kate's still alive, but it's a bit of a shame. I think we could do with some more of that kind of variety, I think. That like you mm. say, like the, you know, solving mysteries or, um, and I, I, obviously the earthbound stories were a way of, you know, making it a bit cheaper. Even more cheaper to 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 make, um, but I actually thought they they worked really well. Some of them were brilliant stories. I think sometimes you, it, it, the the script has to work harder if you're not relying on the kind of aliens and special effects and all of that kind of stuff. And and so sometimes I think that can work really well because all of that kind of spacey stuff and the alien stuff can end up you tripping over it. There's so much of it. Mm. It's like if, even in this this episode, really the the Missy Mass, you know, this this last couple of episodes, you could have taken the Cybermen out of it, and it wouldn't have destroyed the episode overly. Yeah, I almost felt like they were overstuffing it with aliens. Yeah, <laughs> you know. Well, yeah, exactly. They were literally just there to make a cliffhanger, I think. Yeah, you know, to make a sort of dramatic kind of. Yeah, and also because Moffat wanted to recreate that scene from the invasion, you know, he didn't actually yeah. have to put them in there. But I, yeah, it's in some ways I felt it was a little bit of an anticlimax the way that it turned out to be not an invasion and actually just a, you know, just little old me giving you a gift for your birthday. Are they spending more money on the show because it's been so popular in America? Because I think this season's production values have been way higher. Yeah, they have, and I think. Um, also, the format, when it came back in 2005, this format was very much intended for American audiences. So they were kind of following Buffy, basically, with the, bl- with the blueprint. You know, if mm-hmm. you take an hour and take away all the time for the adverts, then you're left with this kind of 45 minutes, you know, and making it work so that each story is, sort of, you know, um, self-contained and very little kind of two-parters. Which is a shame because, as we said before about Andy, you know, things like Torchwood's uh, Children of Earth. It was brilliant. Oh, it was brilliant. You know, take, oh, take, take one story and just tell it really well and tell it really, you know, slowly, but, you know, very well, you know, not, not letting it drag at the same time. Mm. I think Doctor needs to do that. He needs to have like, you know, we could have just like one season with one really good story, but I guess mm. that wouldn't be a sellable. I remember 70s 
TV shows where there were, for example, The Incredible Hulk and Logan's Run and the original Battlestar Galactica. And there were all of these shows which were basically, they were heading somewhere. People were looking for something. Like the Hulk was looking for a cure to turning green. And obviously the Battlestar Galactica crew were looking for Earth. And there was Logan's Run. They were looking for like Sanctuary. I can remember that was a thing with TV series in the 70s and probably early 80s where they were heading somewhere, but you just never knew. They were never going to get there. I know. And it drove me nuts. There was a, <laughs> a, a TV series called The Invaders. Do you remember The Invaders? No. So basically the, the idea of The Invaders was that there were these aliens that were amongst us. And it was one guy that had discovered that these invaders were amongst us, you know, these aliens. And every freaking week he would uncover them. And every week, for some reason, it wouldn't be recognized or they wouldn't get into the media or he couldn't get evidence every friggin' week (laughs) for crying out loud just give up it's not worth it even the even the x-files got a bit like that towards the end it was like when we're never going to get any resolution to this so there is a balance between kind of standalone episodes and and these kind of continual runs you know and doctor who i think always used to do that very well you know it would have a season and the season, you know, would essentially be one storyline that would resolve itself at the end. You know, I remember things like The Hand of Fear with Tom Baker in that would go, you know, went on for episode after episode. And probably this day, these days could be fitted into a single 45 minutes. Yeah. Um, but, you know, I do think there is a place for that. And I think Torchwood is a great example of how well that can work. Well, think back to the end of the 50th episode or 50th anniversary episode where Gallifrey is out there somewhere. Mm. Yeah. And we got Gallifrey back again because the master seemed to weirdly give him some, well, the Missy gave him some false coordinates or I don't know what that was all about. It was, yeah. I thought that after that 50th, that the big story arc could be the doctor search for Gallifrey. Mm. Yeah. But then all of a sudden, you know, you get back to the beginning of this season and he's kind of forgotten about it. You know, he hasn't really mentioned Gallifrey at all since yeah. Deep Breath. It was like, did he get bored with the idea? You know, got went off with the whole idea of finding his home. Well, you know, but actually he could still have adventures. The Doctor, I mean, could still have adventures in the way that we're talking about. But the sort of the underlying story arc is this, or could be, this search for Gallifrey. Absolutely, yeah. And I think that would work really well. It was a, a really nice scene at the end where you could see him at one side, you know, talking to Clara and say, Oh yeah, yeah, I found Gallifrey. It's going to be great. And you see the, the moment where he goes to those coordinates, looks outside and there's nothing. And yeah. he just starts pounding the, the console. Think, oh, that's a, yeah, really, really well directed moment. I think that one. I, I agree. I think that was a, a, an excellent moment. And there was a similar moment of real, um, emotional intensity with, with Missy as well, with that whole birthday present thing. In, in some ways it was very naff and didn't quite cut gel. But then there was this, there was also a little bit of this desperation for that friendship um, mm. that I really quite liked. I mean, the whole, I think Missy as casting and the way that she's played it has just been brilliant personally. I yeah. think she's made, a far better master than what's his name, the previous guy. I actually really, really John Sim. Him. Yeah, John Sim. I mean, John Sim was great to some extent, but I, there's something about Missy that I love. And I think there's something quite 
interesting about having a female master as well. I think that kind of relationship, that changes the relationship a little bit. Um, and yeah, I just, I loved all of that. Absolutely. Mm. But the doctor had offered the master friendship before on a couple of occasions. I seem to remember. Yeah. Like, you know, come with me. We can explore the universe. Yeah. But he, the master always wants it on his terms, doesn't he? Or her terms now. She wants, she wants to validate herself by the doctor being like her. That's, mm. that's how I read it. It's like she, she admires and respects the doctor and wants, wants to him to acknowledge that he's not that different to her and that, that actually they're very, very similar to one another. Which is the whole, am I a good man? Yeah. Question, isn't it? Which I think has been really interesting. That whole dynamic has been really interesting. And even, even taking that through to when he looked outside the, you know, outside the, the doors and saw that Gallifrey isn't there. If you think about how that same scene would have played out with Matt Smith, Matt Smith wouldn't have been pounding on the console. Mm. There wouldn't have been sparks. There wouldn't have been anger and frustration. So they, they, they're definitely playing with that, that, that darker side of the doctor and, and bringing the master in to play off of that, I think works really well. I think that's really the strength of the, the season as a whole for me. And that's why I think that last episode worked really well, which is why I feel like the Cybermen are a little bit of an irrelevance in it. Mm, they could have expanded on the, on Missy's character much, much more. Look, yeah, Michelle Gomez almost sort of stole the, the show really. And, mm. uh, her character had that kind of, um, evil unpredictability that about it that I think John Sim had as well. That you're never quite yes. sure, you know, she's going to kill you, but she's going to smile and, you know, make you say something nice before you do. Um, or the way that she killed Osgood. I mean, I think the, you know, the way she killed Osgood was, was very well done. But I just mm. think the way that, you know, she didn't need to. And also, you know, why would you put your scientist in with the prisoner? And, you know, what, why was, why was Missy awake? Cause they got this. Well, she wasn't really, yeah, she wasn't exactly guarding us. Did she didn't have another room on the plane for her to work in? Well, well, that's just it. She was working in the same room as the where they were keeping Missy. Especially when the guards were both obviously either insane, sleeping or drugged. Yeah. You know, <laughs> <laughs> you might as well not have had the guards there, really. No, they were, they were particularly rubbish. And that whole come closer. <laughs> I, was, I mean, how, to be honest, Osgood had it coming, in my opinion. Anybody that was stupid enough to fall for that deserved to die a horrible death. <laughs> What what was with the Mary Poppins entrance though? Oh, I thought that was brilliant. <laughs> Sorry, <laughs> he's getting a little excited. Ooh, yeah. What? Come a on. little popping gasm. Don't, don't tell me, don't tell me that the first time you saw Miss, Missy, you thought a psycho Mary Poppins. Did you not think yeah, that? Yeah, I absolutely. That. Yeah, but then to actually so see she... her fall down under her umbrella, I thought was a bit cheesy. Oh, no, see, no. For me, that just ticked all the <laughs> I'm sorry, I shouldn't be on this show. Particular, fanta- particular fantasy of yours, yeah. <laughs> the serious question, I suppose, and, you know, we need to st- probably be a little bit PC, is, is casting Michelle Gomez, is making the master female... Stephen Moffat's answer to people that just criticize him for not writing strong female characters in the past, or that whole kind of, you know, when can the doctor be a woman? Let's make it Joanna Lumley. Yeah. 
I, th- I think it partly is, but I think also I think the, one of the reasons why he didn't cast a female doctor was that I think he wanted he had this big idea of pulling this big um, twist at the end, and that the the master was now uh, now a woman. And I think that was that was part of his grand plan all along. Um, and I think so. I think when people were complaining that the doctor wasn't female, I thought he was he actually wringing his hand in joy because. I can sort of picture him really, you know, enjoying that that kind of reaction thing. Would just you wait? Not that he's got that kind of accent. Do you think that they plan the story that far in advance? I think he does, and I think he kind of well, he maybe doesn't have the detail, but he has the kind of the general overview of, you know, this is where I want to be, and I want to introduce the master, but it's going to be a woman, and I think that's definitely been there all along. Because that, that was first planted, or at least the first time I spotted it, was in the the episode where and the Neil Gaiman episode where the TARDIS became human. Yeah. And and that was when they first introduced the idea of a, a, a Time Lord changing gender. Mm. Um, and I thought, well, that's either got to be a lineup for the Doctor becoming, um, you know, a, a woman, or it's got to be, you know, the Master. Um, but I just presumed it was a long-term setup for eventually they're going to have a female doctor. And I think they will eventually. Yeah, I think so. I think as much just to keep the show fresh, they're going to have to, mm. you know, have a different dynamic because it means that they can now have a male companion mm-hmm. uh, and just a male companion, you know, not having a, um, someone tagging along like Rory, but someone in actual dynamic of female doctor and, you know, young boy of the handsome persuasion, probably. Uh, you know, I can see them doing that just to keep it keep it going and keep it lively. I think that that was the masterstroke of this entire season, to be honest. No pun intended. <laughs> right. So the reveal of the of Missy, yeah, yeah. I didn't I didn't see that one coming. So, quick question about that: the you know, robots of Sherwood, the robots were trying to get to the promised land. Mm-hmm. That was just another bit of um, misdirection. It was just a bit of fluff. Yeah, it was, but yeah. (laughs) Well, no, I mean, the way that I took that is that that essentially the implication was from this last episode that the whole idea of heaven or the afterlife or the promised land or whatever you wanted to call it is all a fabrication that the master has created and, and seeded throughout history. So yeah, those, those robots in the robots of Sherwood were trying to get to the promised land because that was their perception of heaven. They just didn't know what that was. And I suppose if you think about it, if heaven is a hard drive and those robots were sentient, so, you know, their consciousness could end up on a hard drive probably yeah. easier than a human, to be honest. Absolutely. Just like in science in the library, you know, the whole kind of where River Song ends up. You know, yeah. she's dead, but she's still a, a living consciousness within the library, within the data. So I like that. Okay. The other question is, you know, all this stuff about Missy saying, well, Clara, you know, she picked Clara specially and she tried to make sure that the Clara and the doctor stayed together. Did anyone kind of get, catch why? No, no clue. <laughs> Cause it Stop. seemed to me like she, you could have managed to, to get to Missy without Clara, but. Yeah, I mean, it, the the kind of excuse that was given, wasn't it, was something along the lines of that that it, it needed a strong companion that was willing to essentially force the Doctor into doing something he didn't want to, and that that was how Missy was going to get to the Doctor. But how that But unless worked, I'm missing something fundamental, 
the only way that Clara was going to get the doctor to Missy was because Danny died, and Danny dying was an accident. Mm. Yeah. Or was it? Dum, dum, dum. Uh, Sorry. Who was driving the car? Yeah. A mad lady looked like Mary, Mary Poppins. Strax. 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 Yeah. Yes. We will melt him with acid. <laughs> I think that I would probably agree with, um, with the Verge's assessment. I thought it was a really, really strong finish. Mm. And I am, I'm looking forward to the next series. And I'm probably not so looking forward to Father Christmas. <laughs> oh, yeah. you miserable so-and-so. Oh, you're a couple of grumpy old men. It's the whole kind of, like, like last year, it was like, what's the planet called? Oh, it's called Christmas. And Yeah, that was a bit tenuous. Oh, it was a town, wasn't it? A town called Christmas. And trying to sort of shoehorn these sort of Christmas themes into every, every Christmas special, you think eventually they're going to come and have Santa Claus. Although I've heard some um, some talk about how it actually plays out, and that it's not actually Santa Claus, and this is like a series of dreams, a bit like Christmas okay. Carol. But uh, I don't know. We'll have to wait and see, obviously. But I'm not. I mean, looking forward I, to. It. I kind of, I kind of think what a really fun thing would be. This is this is where my mind went after this, and I, I, I've no backing. They won't do this, but you know if you think about the doctor the doctor is this alien that has been protecting the earth for thousands of years what if santa is the same what if santa is actually an alien that has protected the earth for thousands of years or hundreds of years and that that now he's coming to reward the doctor for doing the same see i think that would be great and Nick Frost as as Father Christmas. Yeah. I, I don't care how shit the episode is. <laughs> I don't care if it makes no sense at all. If it's got Nick Frost in playing Santa, I'm all up for it. Yeah, it I, is genius casting. But why? Just because it's on at Christmas, do they have to make it like a feel good episode? Why can't Clara die in a why can't it be like East barn fire? Be- yeah, I was going to say because we have EastEnders at Christmas, and that's quite enough misery per year. I want something. I want Doctor Who to go to EastEnders and fix it all. That's what I want to happen. Slap them all. Yeah. I mean, I I don't necessarily want it to be dark, but I would just like it to not necessarily be so driven by Christmas. You know, I think it'd still be a good story. Actually, I think one of the best ones they've done was that um, Christmas Carol version with Gambon. That was pretty good. The Two Doctor one. Well, no, it was. um, Was it Two Doctor? It was, was the one, the one with, with with Matt Smith and Michael Gambon, and Michael Gambon was a Scrooge character, and he he basically went back and changed his previous life to to make him a better person in the future. I don't remember that one at all. Really? Oh, it was good. You should watch it. It's a great show called Doctor Who. Paul, you should really. You know. <laughs> <laughs> I like the one with Kylie because I like everything with Kylie. Yes. <laughs> That was a, that was all right. That was a quite good one. And again, that wasn't particularly Christmassy, was it? It wasn't having any sort of Christmas themes. It was a, it was more of a romp. And I think if mm. you're going to do a romp, yeah. that's a good time to do it. But yeah, the last few have had to focus on this. Actually, the one the previous one to last year, where Clara came back as the governess, um, was interesting. I think that was actually that one was pretty good. And again, because it had Strax in it. So. That's all you need, isn't it? Strax needs to become the permanent assistant. Right? <laughs> what, 
we get rid of Clara because I was saying we need an alien assistant. <laughs> yeah. so we get rid of Clara and replace him with uh, with uh, Potato Head. It'd be great. Yeah, it would be fantastic. Shall I fetch the memory worm? Or the Doctor's oh, daughter. Oh, I want well, her back. Yeah, it's out there somewhere. So should come back at some point. And was even was it even mentioned in this story? She was referred to. Yeah, yeah, yeah she was. Along with the Doctor's four marriages. Oh, I, yeah, I was I'm, trying to work that out. Yeah, I, I missed that bit, to be honest. So he must have been, one presumes he was married before the season started in order to have his granddaughter with him. Yeah. I mean, you know, this was the 1960s, so they, or 50s or whatever it was, so they would have been married, you know. It's none of this out of wedlock. So that would be one. There was Queen Elizabeth, which is two. River Song, which was three. Mm-hmm. Where's four? Can't remember, but I've read it somewhere. So there is a fourth that you're aware of. There is a fourth wife somewhere. Right. Interesting. Um, I'm very disappointed that that John hasn't instantly jumped in. No, no. Actually, I don't know about this one. (laughs) But I am looking it up right now. (laughs) (laughs) Listen, while you look that up, I think we should wrap it up. Mm Mm-hmm. Because we've witted on for an hour and a half yeah, about a children's TV programme when there must be <laughs> more important well, for you know. three men in their prime <laughs> to be doing on a Monday night. It's good to get out of your system, though, Ian. I find. <laughs> you know, no one else will listen to you. Yeah, man. exactly. No one else in the family wants to hear my, <laughs> my punditry, <laughs> such as it is. Have you looked this up yet? I'm just looking at it now. It didn't say. No, I haven't found it yet. You'll have to find a link for the show notes. Yes. Yeah. I did find it somewhere, and it was earlier on today, and I cannot remember where it, where it was, when I was doing my research for this very professional podcast that we've just done. <laughs> I, I, I'm relatively impressed. I feel that, you know, as 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 web design business podcasts go, this has been a, a good one. <laughs> one of the most Doctor Who ones. <laughs> Terrible Doctor Who show, but but not bad about business in web design. Well, no, the thing is, is that I laughingly call this a Doctor Who special, but actually we've talked about Doctor Who three times out of the almost 100 shows. So we could actually work out, if we were a statistician, that we've talked about Doctor Who for 3% of this show's <laughs> entire two-year run. Which it's, um, it's, it's, it's special. It is special. It's a, it's a British institution. It goes, it goes the Queen, the NHS, BBC, Doctor Who. Exactly. Yeah. It's not necessarily in that too, order. Too right. The mini, the mini skirt, all those other the iconic Beatles. things. Yeah. Uh, beef eater. Yeah. But Toby- Doctor Who has got to be quite <laughs> Toby Carvery. <laughs> <laughs> Another great exports to the world like Benny Hill. Yeah, but Doctor Who's got to be right up there, isn't it? I think that it's one of the things that I'd be most proudest of. You know, when people, when you meet people abroad and they, they say, you know, what football team do you support? I'd like them to talk about Doctor Who instead. Yeah, Wherever you go in the world, people go Manchester United. Well, no, increasingly they're going Top Gear, which is not a good representation of Britain. Funny, but not a good representation of Britain. So there. We should definitely wrap it up. Okay. So people can follow you, John, on Twitter. You are Hicks Design. 
Yes, you are indeed. And Paul is? Uh, Boag World. Oh, you see, I like how you sort of stepped that bit. And you didn't interrupt my introduction today either. Oh, no, which I, I thought know. was. I'm, I'm getting better. You're learning, learning how to do podcasts. <laughs> or me at Malarkey to ask questions or suggest topics. You can message this show on Twitter at unfinished. BZ, or you can email me, he has at unfinished.bz. Thanks again to our fabulous sponsors this week. They were Gather Content and Dot York. As always, you can support our show by supporting them. Cheers, fellas. Woohoo! Yay! <laughs> what a pathetic anti climax those little whoops were. Well, I presume you're going to end the show with the, the Doctor Who music, are you not? And then get sued. <laughs> we could do it. We could sing it. <laughs> this is a really bad idea. <laughs>